echoey. It is echoey here, that's for sure. What was that? I was going to say, just to see Rob lose his shit. Talk about uh, Disney buying DC. But, uh, Disney bought DC? There's talk of it. No, no, no. What? Talk, I, there was talk on oh. Twitter. It was not a confirmed source. I have a good Jew question for John. Okay. Can I, can I, can I at least participate in it? Whatever. All right, here, we here we go. Are we done? Is this going to happen? When you keep saying here we go, does that mean we're going? Now. Now. Okay, okay. start. Okay, ready? Go. Start. As May. <laughs> Wait, just count back. Three, two, one. Ready? I'll, I'll do it. Three, two, one. Go. As May. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's the end of May, and this is Glop Culture, and I am John Podhortz being interrupted by the new uh, the man of the Crescent City. Yeah, I'm moving uh, here. Who is laissez the bon temps roulaying? Yep, Rob Long. I'm moving here. Sava. Sava. It's great. It's a great city. It's a great city. I have many theories about it, which we can talk about after we say hello to Jonah. Jonah Goldberg in Washington. How are you? I'm all right. I um I thought we were doing this at three, and then when I found out that we were actually doing it at four, I went and took a nap. So I just woke up, and um, if I um seem incoherent, that's the reason why. Okay. Did you just say incoherent? In, uh, maybe that would be incoherent. I, that would be ironic. Okay, but. that would be, or it would be, it would be ironic, perhaps. Ooh. Oh. Oh. Um, so it would not merely would be, apropos. Right. I do like it's like it's one of those things that it's like it's like I I, uh, I get mad at disorganized and unorganized and disinterested and uninterested probably ir- ir- irrationally angry at both of those mis- misuses. But less I, and fewer sets me into a blind. Less rate. and fewer is terrible. Um, but when I eventually do a crossword design. Yeah, that's how like these weirdo nerds just like sending crosswords to what's his name at the New York Times. Will Shorts. Will Shorts. Puzzle uh, Master Will Shorts. Puzzle, well, my puzzle theme will be these mistakes. Boy, that like, is high concept. Like the clue will be something, and the answer will be irregardless. <laughs> I like that. I like. By, by the way, disinterested and uninterested is particularly maddening because. Yeah. They literally mean two entirely different yeah, things. Yeah, one one you want. You want a disinterested yeah. judge. Right. You do not want an uninterested judge <laughs> exactly. as he will fall asleep during your trial and he will not, you know, overrule. Or, or flammable, for that matter. There yeah. is no word flammable. The word is inflammable. Inflammable well, means to be a, able to be inflamed. And then there's the there are words that really drive me crazy that mean what they mean and they also mean the opposite of what they mean. Sure. So, like, sanction – Mm-hmm. Means to allow and to punish. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's very. It's very Old Testament. The word sanction. <laughs> you can do it. In fact, you have to do it. And like, what is it? Sanguine means bloody and optimistic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, come on. Yeah. I. That's the English language is just. So great. there's a reason that the English language is the greatest of all literary languages, yeah. right? Because right. there there are something like twice as many words in English as there are in any other language. And and 
Right. Because it because it I've, is, it, I've looked this up. In so many... it's true English is very large. I don't think it is the largest language. Okay. Part of it has to do with how you measure these things. Okay. But it's really true. It's like much bigger than like Spanish. Right. Where, I remember my friend yeah. Ron Bailey. He was a journalist in Costa Rica for a while, and he said one of the things you had to get used to was, like in English, good writers try very hard not to repeat the same word over and over again. And in Spanish, there's no cultural stigma on doing that. So you could be like writing about how it was a very big tree on a very big road and <laughs> a very big park, you know, whatever. And no one right. cares that you use big right. over and over again. Well, well, that's, very Heming- that's very Hemingway-esque. Yeah. I had a writing teacher once who had two um, two people. Did they use the crop a lot? No. What, what, oh, writing. Sorry. Right, yeah. And, and a writing teacher, writing teacher would tell you not to use the crop. Um he uh, he had two 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 uh, pieces of advice. One, he'd say when you write something, you're like an essay or something. First, go through it and circle all the verbs, and then just change those verbs to something more interesting. That if you just pick more interesting verbs, um, your writing will just like go up two notches, just simply. And the second was um, he said uh, if you study the etymology of words, if you ever, whenever you can, use the Anglo-Saxon word for something and not the latinate word for something because it's just more powerful so instead of saying uh uh that person was very royal royal you say he was very kingly and the more anglo-saxonisms you can put into your language the more sort of powerful it is just psychological thing about english i pass that on to you i smell a lot of privilege in that i'm not sure about that one but (laughs) you can't possibly smell my privilege that is very interesting. I've, I, I've heard many, many, many interesting writing theories. This is like the first. That's that's a new one on me, and I'm 60 years old. So that's mm. I, I like that. The, Didn't uh, Churchill, when he gave one of what was blood, sweat, toils, and tears, it was one of those things where he deliberately only picked Anglo-Saxon words yeah. for it for the entire thing because you can't have any of that. You know, German stuff in there. You couldn't talk well, about the German is, Anglo-Saxon is German. German. Yeah, yeah. But, but there was some other stuff. Latinate, Roman. Yeah, Latinate. Latinate. You don't need that kind of that that yeah, sissy no, stuff. That sh- Roman. Then, like, like any noun phrase, like or any noun nounification of a thing with a shun t i o n is like, if you could say it in French, if the word sounds the same in French, don't use it. <laughs> what, what would what would be English without? What would be the? I guess maybe there were no Germanic words in it. I mean, there was something about that that he was sending some sort of dog whistle. Huh. I mean, the thing to do today is not have any words that begin with AL, right? So no algebra or anything like that. So you don't have any Arabic words that come into the language. Oh, right. Interesting. Yeah. Or you need, or you only use AL because you just you just did something Islamophobic, and as we know, there are two great threats to America right now. <laughs> One is Islamophobia. Mm-hmm. Uh, where which has uh, which has occasioned approximately zero attacks on Muslims in the last two weeks, and the other is anti-Semitism, which has occasioned multiple violent attacks on Jews in the last two weeks. And of course, you can't mention one without the other if you are a progressive. You have to say we revile Islamophobia and anti-Semitism and, sure. because you really have to protect people from the non-existent attacks as well as people from the actual being kicked the shit out of on the streets because they're wearing a yarmulke or look Wait, Jewish. What did you just say? Yarmulke. Yar- yarmulke? Yarmulke. Yarmulke. He yarmulke. the R in yarmulke. there. Yarmulke. Yarmulke. Let me say yarmulke. You can say yarmulke, but it's actually spelled Y-A-R-M-U-L-K-E. Yarmulke. 
Yarmulke. Are we now in the position where we're going to pronounce words with all of the silent letters included? Because that's going to be a fun podcast. Totally, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. It's not silent. If you were speaking Yiddish, right, so, you would say so Yarmulke. Yarmulke. Anyway, you say Yarmulke because, uh, you know, you don't pronounce R's if you're from Brooklyn. So, speaking of Jews in hatware um, who are unfairly attacked, um, John, you, I defer to you on all things Israel and Jewish, but I think we can all stipulate that attacking a Jewish person in L.A. or New York for something that Israelis did or allegedly did or did not in fact do, but you believe propaganda that they did, yeah. is anti-Semitic on, on every level, all that kind of stuff. But there's something particularly ignorant and fascinating to me is that so many of the targets, I mean, again, it's all hideous. I'm not trying to make light of any of it, but... Some of the targets seem to be ultra-Orthodox. And if you were going to pick a a slice of Jewish demography to single out to punish for Israel's actions, arguably the group of Jews, it seems to me, least deserving of this unfair attack would be the ultra-Orthodox because they disproportionately don't participate in the military, right? They're They're, like, you should be signaling out Guys eating, you know, niçoise salad <laughs> in the nice well, part hey. of Beverly Hills. Yeah. Well, know? it's a complicated. It's a complicated point because uh, there are uh, obviously various different sects among right. the ultra orthodox. Uh, one sect, uh, uh, the Satmar, um, are actually anti-Zionist, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or at least as they moved to be more accepting non-Zionist because they believe that Zionism is a heresy, that only God can restore Jews to Israel. Um, But the Lubavitch Hasidim, for example, are are totally Zionist. They actually built a replica of the Lubavitch Rebbe's house, which is in Brooklyn, built a replica in a a settlement on the West Bank. So sitting there on the West Bank is 770 Eastern Parkway, which is the home was the home of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, kind of in an otherwise, you know, rather relatively pristine, semi-desert, arid area. But how many of the Lubavitcher participate in the military in in Israel? Almost none. But That's I mean, right, if okay. anyone does, right? So, yeah. but, but they, um, have, they can yeah. militarize those vans they drive. But around. you know, there were no there were no such targets uh, on uh, was it Sepulveda or uh, uh, La Cienega? At the right. Japanese restaurant on La Cienega, uh, where this gang started, you know, beat, trying to beat up people who were eating sushi. Right. Uh, but a lot of the images you get out of New York yeah. are, are right. jackpots attacking. Right. But right. I think it's, I mean, I guess what I, since you asked why, I would say the <laughs> people who are, who, who are dressed that way, you know they're Jews. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. With the people who are eating. You wouldn't want to accidentally attack a Muslim because right. that would be Islamophobia. And that right. would be yeah, bad. no, but you wouldn't want to people, do that. But right. if you're Hamas, you don't mind apparently now firing rockets at Jerusalem, right. uh, which has a substantial Arab population, and you could actually have a rocket, a Hamas also, rocket that kills I, I would just say the Muslims people, in Jerusalem. The people eating Japanese food, eating sushi on La Siena Boulevard, they are also Jews. You, well, you can make you can. That's a fair. Whenever I hear about Hamas firing the rockets that land on on either within Gaza or or maybe in Arab parts of, of Jerusalem, it always reminds me of The Simpsons, where I think it's Lenny 
and his buddy are talking about how you know the Germans have taken over the nuclear power plant, and Lenny <laughs> says, "Sure, the Germans have made mistakes, but that's why pencils have erasers." <laughs> I, I really, I struggle to see the relevance of that oh, reference. I do. I do. But, but, um, well, I, Hamas, they're into the killing, and if they actually yeah. kill a few Arabs in right. the process of killing well, Jews, let's put it you know. this way: they they don't they don't care about killing anybody. It's also like right. Generally yeah. speaking, there has been there they have forborne striking at Jerusalem right. uh, because of the possibility that a rocket might hit the Temple Mount right. and hit the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which, as we know, is the third holiest site in Islam and therefore must be protected at all costs from Jews because the Temple Mount only happens to be the holiest site in Judaism, whereas the mosque that has been built on, that has been built on top yeah. of the Temple Mount deliberately to obscure the Jewish connection, that mosque is the third holiest. You would actually think that in ranking terms, therefore, kind of the Temple Mount would outrank the Al-Aqsa Mosque, but okay. So this is, we this live is in a real very, world. This is a very Middle Eastern way no, of looking at the world. That is not, oh, yeah, 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 wait, wait, wait. You're number three. We're number one. You're number, then you're, you're number one. We, we, we're not going to be yeah, that seems very. Uh, I, 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 suddenly, I, I, I'm, I'm in, the, in a bazaar. But I want to push back on that a little bit because I'm not going to get into the weeds on this. But I, I spent a little time poking around on this thing because the one time I went to Israel, I talked to some people who said, you know, this third holiest site thing is a bit of propaganda. Um, it's not quite true. It is like certainly in Sunni Islam, they believe it's the third holiest site, you know, and so you got to give that some credits on some points on the board. But it's not in Shia. And there's a contentious argument about whether or not the argument based on the Quran about it being this holy site is, in fact, historically correct. Uh, but we don't need to get into the weeds on that. Well, it is reputed to be the place from which Muhammad ascended to heaven on his steed. But I don't believe it says Jerusalem anywhere in you the know, Quran. You know, I, I, I didn't know that you were an originalist. I didn't know that you were an originalist. I thought, you know, that you, you appreciated the penumbras and emanations I see. Mm -hmm. from the Quran that can be adapted to modern use. Because, of course, we don't live in the 7th century. We don't. We don't. And so mm -hmm. we, we need to, you know, we need to move on, move on with the times. But in any case... In any case, I think, yes. So the Warren Court's reading sure. of the Quran says it's the third. <laughs> how about this? How about, yeah, yeah, how about this? Um, just to change the subject briefly for a minute. How do you guys ce celebrate the Pentecost? <laughs> uh, it's Sunday. Uh, I, I watched the PGA <laughs> Finals. Well, I don't watch the PGA Finals. I am not Listen a golfer. many tongues. Yeah. I am not a golfer. I've never. No. I, mean, I I once took a golf. This is the true story. I went to Haynes Point in Washington, where they have a golf course. I engaged the golf pro to teach me how to play golf. Uh, you know, he gave me the ball, gave me a club, said, "Here's what you do: you bend your elbow, you bend over, you do this, yeah, yeah, yeah. you dress the ball, you see, like this." I did it for like 20 minutes, and he said to me. I'm not sure this is your sport. <laughs> I said, wow. this is like I was rejected by the golf pro who, if he had 
buttered yeah. me up, but it made a couple thousand dollars teaching me golf. Maybe, because golf is so incredibly frustrating that I think if you're the golf pro, you need you need to assess just how much negative energy you want right. to bring into your life. Right. Anyway, I so did, I don't I, golf. Yeah, have well, you golf? Okay. Do you golf? I, 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 ha- I am I – am, I think you. I think you're not allowed to say this anymore. But I would. My, you, my golf game would be dis- best described as spastic. Mm. That's what I, I. don't know if you're allowed to say it, but I'm. A, I'm. A, I'm a spaz. So the way I get around this th- that issue of not saying that word is mm-hmm. I you know, often describe myself as the world's worst two-armed, two-legged golfer. <laughs> that's good. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I did, so, however, wait. Yes. I did, however, go to a, a very, as you might imagine, a very sort of Zen, New Agey, Esalen, Big Sur golf uh, weekend golf school uh, called um, um, Extraordinary Golf, and it's run by a couple people. Started by a couple people. One of them was actually with the founder of Esalen, which is this sort of free, uh, you know, human potential movement in Big Sur. That uh, if you ever, if you saw the last episode of Mad Men, that's where he goes to like sit Wait, there. Is, and it, is this the, that guy Gene Leonard? Was that his name? Uh, 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 well, uh, it was one guy named uh, Leonard. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, I, forget his, I don't know if his first name was Gene. It might okay. And he he taught Aikido for a long time, and actually has this wonderful pro- physical thing he does. Um, but this, this is Michael Murphy, and then a few other people. Uh, and so what you do here, I can, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's not that long a story, but I'll tell uh, So the, what they do is that you get in there, you've been there, I've been there about a dozen people. I went with a friend of mine uh, for his birthday, and so we went together. He's a serious golfer, a bunch of guys sitting together, and like they're all golfer types. And, uh, and everybody who teaches there is like, hey, how are you? The invitation here is to really just express yourself freely. Um, and one of them is a coach at the, he coaches at the, uh, golf's the golf team in the high school at Fairfield, Iowa. Which, if you can, you if you are reading uh, Hippie Code, you know Fairfield, Iowa is a town pretty much entirely owned and run by the Transcendental Meditation people. Um, and so he coaches the golf team at the high school, and they all do TM. And apparently, they win the state all the time. And so other weird, you know, other parents more conservative in the in the region whose kids want to play golf, they'll hire them as golf coaches, even though they know that the kids will be meditating and whatever. Anyway, so you go and the and the and the first you thing said you this do, wasn't going to be a long story, right? I'm sorry, yeah, I apologize. So the first thing you do is you is you uh, is they put um, they they uh, video. So I was first because I was the I was the the least engaged, Capable. right? Yeah. So, yeah. So, they, they, they put a golf uh, ball down, and they give you a club, and you swing, and you hit the golf ball about six, six times, and they videotape you. And then they say, okay, we'll take the golf ball away. And about, each time, it's like skittered off in the corner, topped it, and made a horrible noise. It's horrible, right? And then, uh, they, then they take the golf club, they take the golf tee away, the ball away, and they give you a, a bag of old clubs, and they say, just swing and throw the club, and try to hit that tree over there with the club. And then you do that, and they videotape that. And then you go back to the room, and you, they show you your own golf swing on videotape. Mine particularly is just this hor- horrible, horrifying thing. Um, and then they go, well, what do you want to work on? And then everybody's chiming in all the things that they do wrong, and they're writing it up on the grease board, and the swing, and the head, and the thing, and the, the takeaway, and the follow-through, and all that stuff. And then they say, well, just this kind of fun thing. Let's just show what you look like when you're just swinging the club and throwing the club, and there's no ball there. And then they show you that, and it's like I have – a really great golf swing, <laughs> and and then I say well, I fall fall into the trap. I say, well, yeah, but I can't do that. And then they say, well, no, you, you I mean here, you, this is you doing it. You can do that. There's just a thing that happens when we put a golf ball there, and 
Uh, and then they did and one guy they did it to, and they showed him when he, his golf swing, and he and he's an older man. He just started to weep and said, "I've never been able to do that in my whole life." And so they go, "So how about if we just erase all of the things you're supposed to be thinking about, and just concentrate on just swinging freely the way you already know how to swing?" Step up, plant your feet firmly. Hello, boys. Here ended the lesson. So, uh, so I, I know I know this to be true in my heart because I <laughs> sat down once to write a novel. Your what? And I typed and I typed and I typed and I wrote about seventy pages, and it was terrible. And then I took away the paper. Mm-hmm. I took away the paper and I took away my computer, yeah. and I just better. pretended to type. Yeah. And I wrote on a Karenina. It's really amazing. It's really amazing. Yeah. But uh, but there was no paper. You're making fun of this. I just gave you the solution. I gave you wisdom that you of all the people on this podcast need to hear, and you rejected it. it you <laughs> can do anything. There's the the idea is the ball doesn't move. So why is it so? So problematic. Well, one way to think about it is it is a ball called two inches in diameter. Sure. Sitting on top of a ball 8,000 miles in diameter. True. And which one are you going to hit first? With a stick. <laughs> That's right. Right. With a stick with a tiny little thing on it. Okay. So anyway, just to get back to the PGA Championship. Wait, really? <laughs> going back in it? So, of course, the big news yeah, of the PGA right. Championship PGA, was that Phil Mickelson, who is 50 years old, won – this tournament, he is the first, he is the oldest person ever to win a tournament, and the, the person who was the oldest had won a tur- major tournament in 1966. And so here you have Phil Mickelson, who has spent most of his career in Tiger Woods' shadow and has finally not only done, right. he has now done something that it is almost unimaginably unlikely that Tiger Woods could ever do. So he will be the oldest person to win uh, a major tournament. Uh, you know what? Also, like he, he represents. A, I mean, not that I'm a huge golf fan, but he does represent um, somebody who has overcome an enormous amount of psychological obstacles. You know, he used to do yeah, really, choking. really well yeah. and just choke. And I remember yeah. this. I forget there was one moment. Um, uh, it was maybe it could have been a. Uh, I don't think it was the Open, but it was like maybe the U.S. Open or it was an American. Maybe it was the Masters, and he was a, he was ahead. He was he had it clinched. He was basically wearing the green jacket, but it was the it was the sixteenth hole and and he's walking up to the green and they're showing him and he has his face is in this tortured like rictus of pain. It's like his it's not a smile, it's just this grimace. He looks like a skull. Like he's just absolutely overcome with anxiety and physical pain. At what he thinks is going to happen, which is he's going to choke, and the <laughs> the golden just a moron golden just look at that face. You got it. You know he's got to be loving every minute of this. <laughs> <laughs> you know the key thing, and this is why golf is such a fantastic thing to watch on television. Even though I've never golfed myself, and it, you would think, and basically it wasn't until I was like forty that I ever even watched golf on TV, because you are watching somebody battle. His own demons. That is what golf is. Right. It is all about yourself and whether you blow yeah. it or whether you keep calm. And the secret to Tiger Woods was third and fourth day, he kept his cool. That was 
it. That was all of it. And Mickelson did not keep his cool during this tournament. He kept double bogeying and yeah. screwing up and doing it. It was heart-rending, heart-stopping. You kept thinking he was going to blow it. And then he just didn't. He just didn't yeah, blow it. Right. And, and the guy who was number two, Brooks Kepka, couldn't quite pull up the genius game that would have led him to tie it or maybe overcome it. It was fantastic to watch. Yeah. And I really, really enjoyed it. And that's what I was doing on that's the Pentecost. How you, that's how you celebrated the Pentecost. That was. Which when 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 all the disciples spoke in tongues of tongues of fire. There you go. And I and and I I also would now like to help all of you, particularly Jonah, a man with cats a man whose cat I watch getting fed every morning, getting a treat every morning on Twitter. Uh, he needs to know about our good friends at Kitty Poo Club. Because <laughs> he's a proud cat person. Mm-hmm. He, he and Jess love their cat. But I don't think that means Jonah loves having a litter box in his home. I don't know what you're asking Kitty Poo Club takes care of the more unpleasant parts of cat ownership so Jonah can get back to loving his furry friend. Kitty Poo Club is a convenient all-in-one monthly litter box solution. Every month, Kitty Poo Club delivers an affordable, high-quality, recyclable litter box that's pre-filled with the litter of your choice. And you know Jonah, very selective about his litter. Sure. Right? You're not just going to take any litter. That's a fact. That okay. Is a fact. The, and these boxes leak-proof, very important for Jonah, eco-friendly, Jonah, sure. eco-friendly, and have a fun design for every season. And, you know, Jonah's Mr. Fun Design is everybody who gets the dispatch newsletters can tell every day because the design is just out of this world fun. When the month is up, just recycle the box and Kitty Poo Club will automatically deliver a new one to you. No changing used litter, no more cleaning the box. And Jonah, you can customize your order based on how many cats you have and choose from four different litter types. Kitty Poo Club has a no-risk satisfaction guarantee, and you can easily customize or cancel anytime. And right now, Kitty Poo Club is offering you 20% off your first order, plus a free dome, free scoop, and free shipping when you set up auto ship. Free dome? A dome. It's got a dome on it. Hmm. Like... Like the kingdom, like the Temple of the Mount. Yeah, yeah, like the Temple Mount, like the Kingdom, like the like the New the Superdome. Superdome, where I am right now. Right, right near. Yes, and free shipping, which I don't think the Superdome has. When you set up auto ship by going to kittypooplub.com slash glop, just go to kittypooplub.com slash glop to get twenty percent off your first order plus a free dome scoop and free shipping when you set up auto ship. That's kittypooplub. Dot com right. slash glop and we thank Kitty Boo Club for sponsoring the Glop podcast. And I didn't crack up. No, you didn't. You didn't. No, I didn't. You got through. Congratulations. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. That's important. Um, Rob. Yeah. Your your industry, which of course is the most fascinating of all industries because it is so glamorous and so and everybody has an opinion yeah. on everything that goes and on. Everybody's wrong there. And everyone's always wrong. Uh Something that is both unprecedented and amazing and horrifying and comic happened two weeks ago, which is that uh, two years, just two years after AT&T took over Warner Media and took possession of yeah. 
they decided to HBO. They, right they decided to uh they, to get out of the business they got into yeah. so basically all the things they said about how it's going to be really really wonderful how which they every company always does when it does something big like this which costs you know a billion 100 billion dollars they say you have no idea it's actually amazing that we just didn't do this before this is going to be perfect everything is going to be great they 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 combined AT and T and and Warner and Warner was a giant sprawling mess and AT and T was a kind of a, a company that needed a direction. I admire them for realizing so soon they made a mistake and for backing out of it. Um, it, it if you do their complicated math, um, which you know you 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 could have like you know when 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 Trump uh, announced that he was running for president and how rich he was in excess of you know ten billion dollars because everything was a billion worth a billion dollars, that's kind of what AT and T is doing now and say listen we made money on this deal, <laughs> um, uh, and they they may still who knows they own a huge portion of the of the resulting company, um, but this is what's going to happen for I think it's going to happen for the next two years it's going to be this incredibly complicated musical chairs of who owns what uh mostly because i think these sort of old dudes are going to go home and they look at their children or grandchildren playing on tiktok or something and they go we, uh, well, i gotta do that i gotta get into that like, what's that what, what's that new thing um uh when um barry diller who was a you know studio head for a long time um got fired from fox i think uh he drove around the country with a famously with a with a with a early MacBook, and uh, and he discovered like CompuServe or something, and, <laughs> and he kicked off like this. He bought the Home Shopping Network, and then he kicked off this like obsession with people in Hollywood for like uh, it's all going to be on CompuServe. And I remember that year, <laughs> my agent saying to me something like, "I'm like that. We're going to we're going to we're going out and pitch a new project. It should be about the internet." She said, the "Internet. You put the internet. The kids, all the they should be on the internet. If there's some way to make it internet, make it internet." God, you know, we should go back and look up that kennel letter piece about Barry Diller and his MacBook because I remember it very well. I think it was like '93, '94, something like, like that. that. Yeah. And and it was this portrait of a guy learning how to use yeah. his laptop, and it was right, right. This is really fascinating because you see. This website, you click on this button, and then things come into your computer right. from – and then if you can send things out and you can buy things on it, and, and it, it's like – like, it would be like learning about someone saying there's a wire, and on this wire – Voices it's can my maybe laundry. travel, and <laughs> yeah. and and, and well, so he, you could, you know. yeah, yeah. He 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 famously did that. And then he and then he, somehow at the time, this is not that long ago in terms of sort of human evolution. No, it was like twenty seven years people, ago. Also convinced people that somehow this TV station he had, where they they sell crap online. Uh, and uh, not online, sell crap on TV, and then you call up and you buy it, and you talk to the people selling it. You, hey, how you doing, Estelle? I love the egg poacher, whatever it is. That was somehow like incredibly fresh and new and, and high tech. And no, was but what was interesting? Thing. But what was interesting about Barry Diller doing that? And we can get back to is that um, he was like a glamorous figure. He had been head of ABC, yeah, like right. movies, and then he was this, and then he ran Fox and all this, and he went off and. Got a big payout, and he bought QVC or the Home Shopping Network, yeah. and it was like 
That's so low. That's so cheap. Oh my God! Like, who wants to be in that kind of business? And he's and like, was like, "What are you crazy? Yeah. I paid four hundred million dollars, and it grossed three billion dollars last year. <laughs> you idiot! That's why I'm in it." Yeah. And and he proved that there was a career and a life outside of Hollywood for somebody yeah. who had gone, grown up in Hollywood. That it was a sucker's bet to go from studio to studio working for somebody else. Yeah. That it was time for him to run his own show, and he's now a multi-billionaire. Make a billion dollars selling uh, fat pants on TV. Yeah. So okay. So yeah. So here's why. Here's why. Wait. Wait. What? Does any of this? I mean, I don't know. I'm asking Jonah because he's in D.C. Does any of this matter to people in politics? Do people in politics ever think about this stuff aside from just the consumer part of it? I think they. Think about it a lot the second they get out of politics and they go try to cash in and they go get on all these boards and stuff. And um, I mean, I, I I don't want to I don't want to disparage Harold Ford because he's a nice guy. He's a super nice guy. He's on the special report panel all the time. But I chuckle every single time they introduce him as being the CEO or whatever of of inclusion capital, which just so clearly feels like there's some clause in some banking or finance law that says you need a certain percentage of people from black owned investment firms to get certain kinds of contracts. And so he started in inclusion capital. I don't know if this is true, but that's just immediately where my head goes. You know, it's like uh, the, the small business administration created these rules about minority ownership of stuff, and like the number of people who just said, Hey, I'm African-American. I'll set up a little thing that says I'm oh, I, I'm willing to own your yeah. TV and radio stations for you. I think there are people who care about this stuff in, in on the media side of stuff, but I, I just I haven't run into a lot of politicians who care about this stuff outside of the slice of their brain that thinks about who they can hit up for money or a job when they leave office. You know, it's weird that it doesn't play a, a large right. role, and obviously some of this is playing a larger role than it used to because we have right now we have Ron DeSantis. Uh, you know, championing bills in Florida to uh, establish some, you know, controls on social media right. and their ability to, you know, uh, eliminate politicians they don't like, meaning Trump. without, but with a huge carve out for Disney. With a huge carve out for Disney, because of course it is like the one of the largest employers in Florida. But, but, so the social media companies have now are now in the in the crosshairs. Of politicians, the way 25 years ago, the general media was right. V chip that was about television, song lyrics, you know, Tipper Gore and song lyrics in the 1980s, violence on TV, sex on TV, all of that. There, this now seems to have shifted into the uh, damaging political role played by by social media. But but John McCain used to make real hay in Arizona. One of the reasons he was a popular politician in Arizona, one of his enduring issues that was under the radar was he went after cable companies all the time for a la carte. He said this, the pricing system is not fair. You make people pay right. for cable channels they don't want. We need a la carte pricing so that people can pick and choose. You shouldn't have to buy ESPN if you don't want ESPN. This is unfair. These companies are granted monopolies by the by municipalities and they should be under our control 
and it never really broke out into a right, national right, right. issue, but it right. was one of the reasons that he remained very popular as a populist politician in his state, hmm. that he rode that. But other politicians haven't really used it in the same way, and you really could. Well, it's a changes so much, though. That's the problem is that every time you try to write a regulation for this stuff, it just be, it is there's a technological workaround. I mean, there is now. Like, there are people cutting their cord left and right. They're just why do I even have to do any of this stuff? And then people to complain like, right. well, shouldn't we have a public square kind of? What happened to public square? Like, you, you want to watch the shows you want to watch, and like, and and then the truth is, if you're in a, in a cable company, part of your hope is that you get that that by 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 offer by offering all these. Channels you're never going to watch, like Discovery, right? Or the Discovery family of Discoveries, or like the people who like buy. It seems like every other show on on I'm flipping through the dial is somebody either buying yeah. a house or deciding to buy a house or selling a house or trying to fix up a house. It's all a lot of houses, right? That the idea is that you're going to create other stations that are popular that you can then use as leverage against the stations that are currently popular, right? So, what makes Fox News so so incredibly profitable is that you can't you, they they charge money for these cables operation operators to carry it, right? And the cable operators have no leverage because it's too popular, right? So, what what you're hoping is that somebody else comes along and you can say to whomever, oh, we're not going to carry your a buy it, love it, leave it <laughs> real estate channel because we're going to we have a love it, leave it, buy it, sell it real estate channel. That's you know, so that only works if it's not a la carte. So I see it. I see it slightly differently. I mean, I agree with all that, but I see it slightly differently. Like I have a friend who's in the um, uh, who works for a major oil company, and he always says, "Look, you know, at the end of the day, we're not an oil company; we're an energy company. So if if these other forms of energy become, you know, like uh, I think it's Exxon Mobil has um, maybe the largest single investment in like wind and solar, of, of, you know, because they're they're hedging." You know, in their portfolio kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I I had this argument with my uh, beloved wife quite a bit because she wants to cut the cord. She's like, what do we watch on cable that we can't get on, like, you know, on Apple TV and, you know, blah, blah, blah. We'll just use the Internet. And right. I see the cable companies increasingly as connectivity businesses because I, I looked into it about, like, getting rid of some of our cable boxes and yeah. and cutting back on our channels and all this kind of stuff and even cutting the cord. They still – get you for internet access and and like the the channel subscriptions are these rounding errors yeah so like right. and particularly now that everything's moving to streaming okay so like you you get rid of your hbo channel but you still want to get hbo max and that's going to cost you right almost as much as to have the channel and if you have the channel you have hbo max and you have the channel so that you can watch it on your ipad and you can watch it on your tv and blah 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 blah, blah. and so they're just like in the sending ones and zeros right. through space business okay that? Discovery Plus. But here's no. what struck me. There are two things that struck me interesting about this deal. Or there are several, but but that, that are of you know more No, but that are more, more than more than, you know, specific You're business. Only tell us is it one of the first most is, important or the third most important? I don't know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> one of them is that the guy who was defenestrated in this deal, Jason Keelar or Kylar, whatever it is, the head of Warner Media, who's only been the head of Warner Media for a year is the guy who said, I'm going to do what everybody has been too scared to do in the motion picture business and put a stake in the heart of theatrical distribution. Because my company makes $182 billion. It doesn't care. Right. It doesn't care that 
one movie can make $300 million at the box office. That's like what we spend on paper clips. If I can move the stock price a dollar, I will succeed. And so I'm going to say that all of our stuff, because of the pandemic, all of our stuff is now going to be go online at the same time. He wasn't fired because of that. No, no, he wasn't. Uh, But here's my point, which is that he did something that no entertainment executive, because he wasn't really an entertainment executive. He was a corporate executive could ever have done. They all wanted to do it. They all were hungry to do it because they don't own the theaters. They don't own theatrical. All they, all they could always go right. back. But think about it. None of this is, prim- it's like they could always okay, go back. But, I mean, there's this, okay, why would So he did it and he, uh, and he's now, he did it. And so he will be remembered as the guy who killed theatrical uh, and then was thrown out on his ass, right? So that's number one. Number two, what's interesting is who is surviving in this deal from from Warner Media? Who is going to survive in this deal from Warner Media is the cockroach of the of the entertainment yes, yeah. and news business right. of the last Jeff 35, 40 years. Jeff Zucker. And I say cockroach yeah. not because he's a driver. Jeff Zucker, yeah. but because he is a right. survivor. Yes. He will survive everything and anything. He is right he's now running claimed, CNN. Yeah, he's CNN also claimed that he's 60. going to uh, leave CNN, although now because David right. Zaslav, who runs Discovery, is an old friend of his, he right. might stick around. Yeah, look, he's like he's a he's a, a his arguments are all are, are are actually are sometimes actually true, which are like, well, I never I was never allowed to do what I wanted to do. Okay, right. He was allowed to do what he wanted to do with CNN. But the question really is whether CNN even exists. I mean, you know, if you're if you're yeah, right. But here's my point right. about Jeff Zucker. CNN is down sixty eight percent from its high, right now. Right ratings. Right. Okay, it's down sixty eight percent from its high in ratings. Jeff Zucker's career as a chief executive in entertainment involved can- tricks. Yeah. It involved cannibalizing things, lengthening programs to forty minutes, doing whatever he could oh. to sort of force people, keeping people to produce a show that was already two years past its due date and all of that. That He had no creative spark. He had no creative fire. He had no creative ability whatsoever. I don't care. It's a no, fine. It's a, well, however NBC one. and however these networks want to run is totally fine with me. What fascinates me about him is that he knows something that other people don't know, which is how somehow – to stand somewhere where a building is falling and he's Buster Keaton and the building falls and he's in the doorway and doesn't get hit by the falling building. It is, this has happened. He, he was at NBC. It went from first to fourth in the ratings, right? Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you know, nobody thinks that, 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 that he was engineered the fall of NBC. They think that he presided over a decline that was supposed to happen anyway. And he tried everything. Um, CNN itself uh, was never quite. CNN International was the. It was I think paid the bills for a lot of it. Um, you know he's good with talent. Talent likes him. Um, he, 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 There's a really uh, stirring defense here. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like part of the problem with this is that there's this myth of these people that pe- these people can do stuff. And what happens usually is the guys like John Stanky, who used to, who was running, <laughs> that's perfectly named John Stanky, um, who was running Warner Media for AT and T, took over. The, the the first thing these people discover is, oh my God, I can't do anything. Oh my, I'm not the president of anything. I'm, I don't, I don't, I can't like, 
jump and how high like n- nobody jumps like you can't do anything so all the things he had a li- you know you know that ATT had a list of to do items for what they're going to do with Warner Media and then they went down the list like oh can't do that 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 all these things they can't do and so they're out of it now and I admire them for getting out of it I remember when a friend of mine was working at a big investment bank in their tax uh, their tax avoidance department. And uh, when Coca-Cola was selling Columbia and TriStar to Sony, because Coca-Cola used to own, you know, these big companies are always buying studios and then getting burned. And he, before the deal went through, he went to them and said, listen, um, there's a, if, we, if we can just amend the deal a little bit, it won't change the terms of the deal. Sony won't care. Uh, just a little bit, it, it will, um, you'll save something like $175 million in taxes. And the board at Coca-Cola said, we don't care. We do not want to op- – we don't want to give Sony one more opportunity to open – to rethink this deal. We want out. Uh, we will pay any price. And uh, thank you for your input, but, you know, no. Look, the uh, other thing about this they wanted deal, out. The other thing about this deal that is interesting is that essentially – I thought there was two things. Warner Media is being taken over by a much smaller company, right? It's being taken over by Discovery. It's going to be run by Discovery, which is the channel that has 90 Day Fiancé, My 600-Pound Mother – uh, you know, uh, <laughs> really? blow, blow, blow up your house and start over yeah, again. Right, right, right. How, whatever shows that cost three and a half cents have 350,000 viewers. What's my 600-pound mother about? I no, it's know. called My 600-pound life. And it's oh. about your mother being it's 600 pounds. It's a pretty pounds. depressing show. It's, it? and, yeah. and hoarders and, you know, whatever. Okay. What's depressing so, about it? Like, I, 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 I get, I get, I understand what's depressing about they're, it. Like, they're, they're, they the don't want to be 600 pounds, On Rob. the other hand, it's like... It's over now. You're 600 pounds. Okay. My wife's theory about this is this is for people who are only 60 pounds overweight. Right. And yeah. and cool. At least I'm not si- right. Yeah, that's probably true. Okay. Right? But if you're 600 pounds overweight, I would say to yourself, like, you know what? You know, lean into that if, if you can. I mean, do it. Do okay. what you uh, lumber into that. Like, right. you now can – you don't have to say, um, we'll have the creme brulee two, two, get three spoons. <laughs> okay, okay so no, I'm eating that. That's wait. mine. Okay, I don't. So you know, I just want the, the, the dressing on the side. Don't dressing on the side. Dressing okay. right on top. In the creme brulee business. Yeah. Here's the what's so Discovery is much smaller. Maybe we're going back to this now. We're, we're, Let me make my point. <laughs> okay. Because we haven't given you the time to make your point. <laughs> Discovery <laughs> takes over this much more, and this this can work because the story of show business. And Hollywood is often the story yeah. of a small, scrappy company that is that comes into a failing media universe and takes over and reshapes it. There are weird stories like this. Like uh, Paramount Pictures was saved. Par- all these studios were dying in the 1960s. Paramount was saved by a very weird, sure. semi-crooked guy named Charles Bludorn. Nobody even knows where his money came from. And he ended up hiring out of nowhere Robert Evans to run his studio, basically because well, yeah. he wanted Evans to be his pimp okay. and get him women. And and yeah. Evans, it turned out, was really good at this. And then the other one is is Steve Ross, who ran yeah, a, a family home, right? garage business. Yeah. I mean, they're, like they're, and took when over. When they were Warner small Brothers. like that, they could be managed. I don't think there's anything that's a secret here, or there's a oh that now it's going to make sense. It's really these things that. 
the problem is that there's all of this attitude that bigger is going to be better, that you're going to get more this, that, and that if all these pieces work together. And what we have learned is that the pieces never work together. None of this ever works. It doesn't work. It's not going to work. It's too big. None of this is ever going to fit together. And eventually it's all going to, you know, they'll have to split it up and it'll be like brilliant plan. And, and people will get rich in transaction fees and stock and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the, 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 every single time you hear someone say, oh, all of these pieces will work together, it's like, no, they're not going to work together. This is not going to work. The, the infrastructure bill is not going to work. These big things are too big. They're not they're too big for your head. They're not going to work. And no amount of like, of, of like saying, well, maybe Steve Roth. No, it's not going to work. What you want in a creative business, which is what Hollywood, no matter how you slice it, Things have to be invented, created, written, produced, acted, and staged and made that other people will be interested in. That's that's it. That's right. what all creative endeavors are. It's what magazines are. It's what books are. It's what – okay. So what you need are people who can either manage that process or are good at that process. And the idea that if you run – There's only one person like that alive right now. Right, but if you if you're the kind of person – who is really good at, you know, making cell phones, your lack of respect, the guy who makes cell phones isn't going to hire a writer to be hit to run, to run his business. It, it doesn't matter. You can't, there's no system. It, it, there's no, right. si those things require a system. And this, the system in, in, for, for show business is, is chaos. And if something starts, you, you throw money at it, but you don't throw money at it first. If, if I, Please if I may, if if you're going to have creative people who need to get their juices going to create interesting things, some of them, if they want to stay healthy, need Lucy gum because they don't want to be smoking all the time the way they were in the old days like in Barton's thing. No, come on. That's Lucy gum. This is the gum that is not only a gum, but it's named both for Jonah's daughter and his mother. Both. Lucy nicotine, not to be confused with Lucy Goldberg. Uh, the elder, nor Lucy Goldberg, the junior, um, is a company founded by Caltech scientists and former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative. Finally, tobacco alternatives that don't suck. Research and developed for three years, three grueling, painstaking years to be made for people, not patients. Lucy has created a nicotine gum with four sweet, sweet milligrams of nicotine that come in three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon, and my dark horse favorite these days, pomegranate. I never would have guessed because I'm not a big pomegranate guy, but I, it turns out I like the pomegranate. Lucy also has a lozenge with four milligrams of nicotine and cherry ice flavor. That's right, ice, ice, baby. Each one tastes Great. It's convenient and discreet. Products can be enjoyed anywhere, on flights, at work, on the go, or even in the gym. This is the real deal. A subscription to Lucy comes directly to your door each month. It's so simple, and you don't have to leave your house because Lucy has delivery down. If you ever try to quit smoking... You know how helpful these alternatives can be. They can make all the difference on a night out when you're trying to stay smoke-free. So get rid of your cigarettes, unplug your vape, throw out your dip, and get some Lucy nicotine gum or lozenges. Glop Culture listeners, go to lucy.co, not .com, 
lucy.co, C-O, and use promo code GLOP, G-L-O-P, to get 20% off all products on your first order, including gum or lozenges. That's lucy.co, and use promo code GLOP at checkout. Also, I have to give you this disclaimer. Warning. This product contains nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Boy, is it ever. Lucy.co, and be sure to use that promo code, GLOP. We thank Lucy for sponsoring the GLOP podcast. Rob, i got to ask you a question as a creative person who has created many television series and worked on many television series. I watched. I talked last time about how I was really enjoying mm-hmm. a show called Imposters on Netflix, mm-hmm. which was on Bravo yeah. four years ago. Right. And I watched the first season, which I think was eight episodes, and and I really, really, really enjoyed it. It's about a con artist, funny, interesting, yeah. Yeah. and the three people she cons and how they become con artists also. Mm-hmm. Then I watched the second season, and the second season is a train wreck. It's ridiculous. Oh. It makes no sense. The plot veers off into crazy, right. bizarre places. It's wildly unrealistic in a way that that is offensive to your just sort of like uh, even your ability to suspend disbelief. And and they cancel it after two seasons, but it struck me. Who's they? What was it on? It was on Bravo. Oh, well. But it struck me that this is something that happens again and again and again. I would say particularly with drama series, I think we've talked about this before, that that sitcoms often improve with age, that they they find their characters as they go, they find their idiosyncrasies, right. the performers right. unite with the characters and start doing interesting things, and so a really rich mm-hmm. sitcom gets mm-hmm. better as it gets older. Well, but well, some of these drama series, and I yeah, like they 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 yeah. start out like gangbusters, and right. then they and then completely they fall apart. Right. I mean, I think the reason for that is is like television is not about story. It's about characters. And people spend a lot of time thinking about stories and what they really should be thinking about is characters because the characters live on, right? And then the stories kind of drop off. And if you're always thinking about characters, then you never really – and you're building them, then you never really worry about like, well, you know, you'll run out of some stuff. And, you know, like some episodes will be kind of like outrageous or like a little bit too, you know, jumpy, jump the sharky. But the truth is that you – if the characters are there, then there's just always something funny or interesting about them. But they don't spend that much time doing that because um, because uh, people are terrified because it takes a while to, like, develop those characters, right? So um, they want to get you hooked on the story because they feel like there's, you know, back in the day, it's like you had three channels. Like if you wanted a cop show, you got a cop show. If you didn't want a cop show, you got a comedy. If you didn't want either one of those, you got some kind Western. of news thing. Yeah. Um, now you have a, sort of a million choices, so they're trying to sell you the serialized version of a thing that shouldn't be isn't really serialized, and um, and when it when it works, of course, it's Game of Thrones, right? And it's everybody makes a million dollars. When it doesn't work, it's something terrible. But but it's it's mostly because people haven't thought hard enough about characters. That's almost always the issue. The 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 most glaring example of this, I think, to make the point are shows where they keep the idea of the show intact but change the characters. So True Detective, first season, was just phenomenal. And then the second season, all new characters, and you're like, eh. And it completely kind of fell apart. Um, But I think that's also one of the weaknesses with Fargo, the TV series, but they've at least managed to care enough about 
making good characters and stories that the the seasons haven't really dropped off, but there are a lot of those. And they also ran, ran away. I mean, in Fargo, they, they kind of ran. They, they're telling the sort of loosely connected canvas, right? yeah. but they kind of ran away from the idea of like one season and another season and another season telling a larger story. They All the pieces inter, interlock, but they interlock in different time zones and different places and different periods and that sort of stuff, which I think was really, really, really clever and engrossing way to do it. The, the, what, what the problem yeah. was that the, you know, everybody loves anthology shows, right? Like, they, like the, that's the uh, anthology show, like Twilight Zone, where it's a little story, you know? But you forget, like, a little anthology shows are hard. Like, it's a pilot every week, a new pilot. And it worked in the 50s and, I think, 60s a little bit because they were building on this st- incredible tradition of these mystery magazine st- short stories that the, basically they kind of, you know, they just dramatized. They always had something. They always had a story. They weren't writing them, right? They had them. Uh, or they had little experiments. But they're really, really hard to do. And no one likes <laughs> Mysteries okay. and nobody does mysteries. And the people who did True Detective it was, it was the first season you write out, it was really good. But the problem was they didn't really sit there in a room and look at themselves in the mirror and say, What are we doing? We're doing the mystery wheel. We're doing Columbo and we're doing McMillan and Wife and we're just doing it cooler, but that's what we're doing. So the mysteries have to be really interesting and absorbing first. Okay, so you take the shows that 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 start off like gangbusters and fall off. And I was thinking of uh, Deadwood, which had a magnificent first season, and then second season was pretty bad, and they started introducing this this troupe, this traveling performers, mm-hmm. which, by the way, they also did in like season five or six of Game. What once they start bringing in a troupe of traveling performers, I would hear performers. You're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. They did it on Star Trek too. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Anyway, so so that happened. Rome, Love which it. had a fantastic first season, didn't really know what to do with its second season. Which is weird because, like, it's Rome. You don't have to invent it. has been written. Yeah. Well, no, because Rome, they did an interplay like, yeah, yeah. of the of the basically of the fall of the. There right. there were these two plots, right? There was the uh, the uh, the alter the the overplot, which right. was the destruction of the of the democratic regime and the and the arrival of Octavius Caesar. And then the other plot were these two soldiers coming back from from war, and what happens to them as they go back into their working class households. But um, they, they couldn't sustain it for some reason. But I'm struck by the shows that worked. So, right, so what shows worked over time? Game of Thrones worked, uh, even though people have objections to various parts of it. Um, uh, Sopranos obviously worked. Breaking Bad worked. Sure. And my sense is, character, right, character, it's all NYPD blue right. for and a long yeah, time. It, character, that, character, that's character. A, right. The focus is that these are the what people. What was the story of the Sopranos? Who knows? It's yeah. just a character. And, and, show. and not just one character, right? There are seven or yeah, eight. Right, right. And then every season had the same structure, which is a new character is introduced who's going to get murdered by the end, right? Oh, my cousin just got out of jail, you know? My yeah. my sister just arrived from out of town. No matter how you slice it, there had to be one new element. Right. That was actually, I believe that she was maybe the greatest character in television for 20 years. Janice, the sister, was so Janice, Janice great. Was, and yes. then you met, and then you met. She was magnificent. One time, when, I think only once or twice, where you met her therapist. <laughs> yeah. Was like Joyce Van Patten or something. Yeah, and her th- you, you meet her therapist. You're like, 
Of course. <laughs> of course. Right. Janice is like is right. ab- aided and abetted by that show is so great because it was like so anti-therapy like the what's her name his shrink was like breaking frame left and right was like incredibly unprofessional and then janice's shrink was telling her i remember janice was like she's this janice was the worst character ever like most evil but fantastic and her therapist was like you know janice you have to go and march into your family's living room and and with the honesty and the integrity that you're famous <laughs> for and we're all watching yeah. this oh my god this is so great so but Dave, but david chase was saved by the exigencies of fate sure. in one way because of course the sopranos was a high concept show right it was yeah. going to be about yeah. how this guy had this literal oedipal struggle with his mother who was going to try to kill him because he wasn't doing enough to keep her out of the nursing home and then the actress who played his mother died and so the arc of the first season they had to shift radically because nancy marchand died and they weren't going to replace her with another actress and so it moved on from this very schematic thing where he's in a fight with his it's like i claudius and his mother and that all had to go away and turn into something else so sometimes things like that things like that but but you were talking about mystery shows and i'm struck by uh, you mentioned True Detective, sure. well, I didn't uh, and right now, and right now, there is this magnificent show on HBO, I watched it yet. Uh, Mayor no of Easttown, which is it Did is. Like I'm it? not going to spoil it. Is it good? It is. It is fantastic, yeah. and its last episode, seven episodes, is uh, is coming up this Memorial Day weekend, I believe, Sunday night. And what's interesting about it, though, is that it it sets up a very complicated mystery missing girls and what happened to them and um i'm struck by was, this was also a, true, true detective one. isn't it like like there's like yeah. the missing the, the grisly murder of the teen girl it's right. like that kicks right. off everything but it's the same story as true detective in that sense right which was or, uh, laura palmer there's a killing yeah no laura palmer and so true detective was there was this crime right. Was it 15 years earlier or 30 years? I can't remember. And it seems to be happening again. And the same cops are now looking into it, right? It's taking place. True Detective. I thought you'd have another another one. I'm now completely lost. No, no, no. no. Here's my point. So True Detective spins out this whole mythology, complicated story, and people – like are obsessed with it and there's social media now involved and people are throwing out theories and right. fan theories and getting clues from books from 1895 that seem to be invested in all of this. And then in the end, True, True Detective ends up being a relatively simple story about a backwoods psychotic. Right, it's always the case. Oh, it's a monster in the woods. Guy. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. So, but wait, here's so the wait, thing. What? So Mayor of Easttown has this very, yeah, I'm going to explain okay. this point. Mayor of Easttown has this, has seized the imaginations of people all over the place, and they are spinning out fan theories about who the real killer is, right? And here's what's interesting, which is you start saying, well, it can't be so-and-so, because that would be too obvious, right? But then I realize, you know what? It really isn't too obvious, because they didn't know that 100 million people we're going to be talking about who did it and lo- watching the show as though they were interpreting the Talmud and like saying, oh, there was a moment when somebody gave somebody else a look. And that's clearly an indication that there's a plot between them and all of this. And then because of all this excitement and enthusiasm and the spinning of all these theories, 
the denouement ends up being depressing and predictable and unsatisfying. This happened with The Undoing earlier this year. I don't know if you guys watched The Undoing with Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. That show, Your Honor, um, with um, what did it? That was just ended yeah. up being bad with Brian Cranston. Fantastic! It was like it's it sort of the the first yeah. season, second season phenomenon truncated over one season. First three, four episodes were great in setting the yeah. scene, and then right. they just completely yeah. buttered the landing. Yeah. Right. So so here's my so here's my 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 theory is that the mystery depends on a certain amount of speed, and the mystery of a movie, a mystery movie is you're watching it and, you know, there's a big reveal at the end and it's surprising right, right. because it's like 90 minutes and you're sitting there and you're not going out into the lobby having conversations about what you just saw. But if you're watching a TV show over many weeks, you can basically, over the water cooler, you can you can deconstruct the thing over and over and over again and so that however it resolves itself, you're going to be unsatisfied. Because it's not going to be wild enough for you because you already – we already went through all the scenarios that said that this guy who was actually the killer was the killer. And so you're like, eh, it can't be him because that's not fun enough. And watch watch how people react to the end of Mare of Easttown. They're going to be disappointed because it's going to be the obvious person. But if you were watching it in real time, that person wouldn't be obvious at all. It's only obvious – if you stop and then every week spend five hours reading fan theories about it on social media. And then there are shows like Lost that have several good seasons, and then the creators of it laugh their asses off as they turn everybody who's invested enormous amounts of time into it into suckers because they had no idea what to do with it. Exactly, yeah. Because I told you this story that my, a friend of mine who's a, who's, a, who's a TV producer said he understood exactly why they did what they did with Lost, which is that they see all this research and what people love are the mysteries and the unsolved questions. So what you want to do each season is just give them right. more of them. But, of course, then you right. develop this backup of mysteries and suddenly you have 95 different unresolved questions and you never really thought that you were actually going to have to resolve them. Okay, and that could really give you a pain in the back. And if you got a pain in the back, let me tell you, you want the X chair, okay? Because the X chair, which I have, which I'm sitting in, Jonah now has one. I think he's sitting in it. The X chair is the luxury supercar of office chairs with its patented dynamic variable lumbar support, which offers unbelievable lumbar support to your lower back, and their new XHMT technology that provides heat and massage therapy while sitting at your desk. That XHMT delivers that heat and massage technology right to your core, helping increase blood flow, muscle recovery, and energy, all perks that make working from home or the office a joy. It even has four different massage modes and fast-warming heat technology for therapy when you're sore. So instead of that old, uncomfortable office chair, look forward to spending hours sitting in the ultimate therapeutic massager. You won't believe the extra difference until you feel the extra difference for yourself. X-Chair is on sale now for $100 off. Go to xchairglop.com now. That's the letter X, the word chair, glop, G-L-O-P, dot com, or call 1-844-4X-Chair. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairglop.com now and use code XWheels for free X-Wheel blade casters, xchairglop.com. And we thank X-Chair for sponsoring the Glop podcast. Podcast. So, guys, uh, we got to go. Um, 
Rob, are you staying? Are you moving to New Orleans? Is that what's happening? Um, I may. I like it here. I really do like it here. Is it sticky? Is it like angel heart sticky? Is everyone schwitzing? Not not yet, but that's going to happen. Yeah. That's, I could never live in New Orleans. I mean, are you uh, are you uh, walking through uh, cemeteries with uh, the Preservation Hall jazz band? You know, just going to selected funerals. Uh, you mean for second hall, the second line? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not attending anyone else's funeral. Just my own. Okay. Uh, because you know, every movie about New Orleans, and there are many mystery movies set in New Orleans, always sure, has right. one of those jazz funerals. Sure, the second line. Yeah, yeah is that what it's called? Yeah, the second line is like you know the sad the sad part, and then there's the happy part. So the second line is is usually referred to as the the second line. Okay, so it's called the second line. Is it it what you're saying? Or the third holiest? Never. I'm sorry. Go on. All right. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Jonah, we have people. They listen to you. They listen to the podcast. They love the dispatch. They love everything about you, and they want to see you if they can, at some point in the next two weeks, on their TV screens, if they haven't cut the cord. Yeah, I, I think... That, can they I do so? The number of people you're describing is, well, maybe except for the dispatch, is growing more selective by the day. But um, I will be on special... Well, they can see you on the dispatch, right? They can yeah. see you on weekly... You, weekly yes, you can always come to the dispatch.com for all the good things that you can find there. I will be on special report on Friday, I believe. Uh, That's Friday, March, May, excuse me, May 28th. I believe that is correct. And um, uh-huh. and uh, that's all I got. Okay. And I am, of course, uh, daily on the Commentary Magazine uh, podcast um, where you can hear me ranting a lot about anti-Semitism. If you didn't get enough of it now, you can get a lot of it tomorrow <laughs> and the day after and the day <laughs> after that. <laughs> well, it's, you know. You're the, you're the Uncle Leo of punditry. Remember, <laughs> I am the Uncle Leo Punditry. That's right. That's right. That's right. Let me tell you about my nephew getting beat up in the parks department. Um, and Rob, so do you have anything to recommend to the people? You're a reader. Are you reading anything anyone would want to read? Um, I'm, I'm actually writing now, so I'm like I'm trying not to like get too distracted. Um, so I can't say I'm reading. I am reading this wonderful history of New Orleans because I'm here called. Um, uh, Frenchmen Desire Good Children, which was set in the 40s. It uh, was written in the 40s, and it's a good, great sweeping history. And I, th- I think all history should be written like this. General sweeping, lots of idiosyncratic language. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I read in, in, in elementary school, or, or like grammar school, like I think when I was second grade or something, A Child's History of the World, mm. which was fantastic. Oh, yeah. And Gombrich did one, too, that was like this great big sweeping history, which, of course, you can't do anymore because of the things you leave out that you're not allowed to leave out. But, um, boy, is it great. So I'm reading uh, a new book. Uh, if, uh, listeners to this podcast know that I have this um, – uh, insane nostalgic obsession with a place that I never was, which is Los Angeles in the 1950s and 1960s. Uh, the place that if I could get into a time machine and time travel to, that's where I would go is like Los Angeles in 1961, 1962. Uh, the, the new book out called Hollywood Eden by Joel Selvin, which sort of tells the story of the creation, really, of surf music. Uh, it starts with Jan and Dean going to Uni High in Santa Monica uh, and sort of essentially recording the first surf song. But it's all about these sort of boys, uh, kids hanging around, 
recording music in their in their garages, taking it, walking into offices of music producers just right on Sunset Boulevard or you know in Hollywood, uh, handing them the handing them their their song. Someone going, "This sounds really good." Getting it to a disc jockey, going on like that, and this kind of like this world of modern pop music being created totally on the fly and with no self-consciousness or, or, or a forethought. And it's all connected to surfing, going to the beach, hanging out, going to the drive-in. Um, it, it, it really is a, a Joel Selvin, Hollywood Eden. It's just a very infectious uh, piece of writing um, in a good way, infectious in a good way. Since infectious is no longer, as Joan would say, it's a <laughs> word with two meanings. Uh, uh, literally, right now, the worst word you can probably use, and also, you know, in terms of, uh, I guess people now say sticky instead of infectious, right? It's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's the kind of thing, it's sticky. I hate that. Do anyone like that? Yeah. I, in, the, in, in, the, in this world I've fallen over backwards into of media startups, sticky is a big, is a big term. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Behavior. Yeah. It's sticky behavior. Yeah. Can't, yeah. It's, it's evocative, but I hate it. That's what she said. what I would say. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Why not? All righty then. So, uh, uh, Taiwan's a country. See you guys soon. <laughs> Join the conversation. Can we go or do we have to stay? You can go. I have to stay. Bye. Bader.